You're listening to the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast. Knowledge, techniques, and inspiration for your teaching and your practice. I'm your host, Mado Hesselink. If you're a yoga teacher who loves learning, is passionate about spreading the benefits of yoga, and desires more resources to support your teaching, you're in the right place. Let's get started with today's episode. Hello, yoga teacher. Welcome to episode 31, The Ethics of Social Media with Alexandria Crow. As I'm recording this, I am just getting over being sick. My voice is still not very strong, but hopefully it sounds husky and pleasant to you. This conversation with Alexandria is a little bit longer than I try to make my episodes, my interview episodes, but there was so much good stuff in it that I really couldn't find much way to cut it back. So with that in mind, I'm going to keep the intro and the outro for it relatively short. Since starting the podcast, I have started to work with Instagram a little bit more. In the past, I wasn't very interested in it, but knowing that my audience is yoga teachers and a lot of yoga teachers are on Instagram, it started to make sense for me to focus on that platform. And as I was looking around Instagram to see what was there in the yoga space, I ran across Alexandria Crow. And I've been really impressed with the content she's putting out. I feel like it's in alignment with my own ethics and my own focus. So I reached out to her and we have been having some really interesting and fruitful conversations. Alex is an internationally respected teacher's teacher who leads teacher trainings and workshops around the world. Through her yoga physics methodology, she aims to clearly explain in the simplest terms the what, whys, and hows of asana, meditation, and yogic philosophy, making the practice approachable for everyone of every level and every walk of life. Her yoga physics mentorship program is helping teachers build on their strengths while discovering their own unique voices. You will hear a lot more about what Alex is about when you listen to the interview. So let's jump right in. So, yeah, social media. Indeed. Have you been involved and actively using social media for a long time? No, actually, I refuse to use it entirely for the first, I mean, technically, let me loop back around. I I was teaching before that was even a thing. I watched Facebook become a medium that was being used in the yoga world. And then it wasn't until long after that, that Instagram started. And I refused to use any of it until I think it'll be four years in April, this coming April. So I actually gave my Facebook account over to YogaWorks for a while because it had a lot of stuff on it, but I, it was inactive. I never used it. And it was because I didn't, I still, I'm much better these days, but I still feel like there's a huge amount of time when I don't have anything to say. And I cannot force that. My personality does not allow for it. I can't document like the waffle that's sitting next to me right now. So I didn't have anything to say back then. I was like, this seems so phony baloney. I can't do it. And some of my friends that are well-known in the yoga world were like, come on, do it, Alex. And I was like, 
I can't. So it wasn't until that April that I had gone through a bunch of stuff physically and then just life wise. And I finally had something to say and it was just a, and I liked Instagram because I'm a graphic designer. I have an art background. So it's much more visually interesting to me to engage in that way and much more creative. So I finally had something to say and it was, that was when I jumped in, but no, I'm like a short-term user. <laughs> That's great. I have really only started focusing on it this year, I would say, for my business. Like I would lurk on Facebook and just keep up with people that way, but I had, I still have really, I would say, some serious mindset issues around being exposed and letting people see me. Mm -hmm. And so it, like I've had a big mindset shift this past year of like, okay, I can use this as a tool and I get to choose what I share on it. And it's safe to do that because nobody, nobody's opinion can hurt me. <laughs> I spend a lot of time saying that to people. It's like, this is all fictional in a lot of ways in the sense that these people do not impact your in your daily life. There's no way for that to be possible unless you allow it to. So it's out there in the ether. It can feel very real at times, but it's in truth not. Um, so it actually is a lot safer than people anticipate. One of the things that gave me pause was how mean people were to each other, seeing how cruel people can be on social media. Oh, yeah. And it did take this evolution or this point in time where I noticed I was less reactive to people's opinions of me mm -hmm. for me to be willing to engage in, in that. Oh yeah. They, I mean, it was something I learned through direct experience a few years ago where it was remarkable to watch people behave in ways where I knew there was no way they would do that in person. They're, they would not be able to launch that out at another human being in person. But because you're behind a screen, you're behind a keyboard, and it's very like low impact unless you allow it, people will just launch out things unfiltered, um, which you know I look at it these days like a testing ground, like how solid am I or can I be in what I'm saying um, without being closed off to conversation or criticism in any way. And then uh, what I've kind of learned is that you can say something that's really benign. There's no tone to any of it. So people read it through their own filter entirely. And I will be like, that's not what I said. That's not what I meant. That's not what I said. That's that's you running it through another filter and they'll layer all that on top when they're commenting. And I'm like, but you, this is your perspective that you're putting on it. This is you're projecting your own experience onto what I said. Um, so that's been something to really learn from because that's actually helpful in person too, especially when you're lecturing to realize that people are going to layer their own life experience and what they think you said, not what you actually said. And then without further inquiry can go really off course. So it's a lot of asking questions, I think is helpful. Yeah, exactly. And I think that is a lot of, has been a lot of my fear of social media is the fact that I don't think of my, I, I don't, I don't come off naturally as super warm. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm always afraid of that. I'm always afraid of people misreading my 
or at least I have been in the past. And now I'm more accepting of the fact that I don't, that's not, that's not my strength. I have other strengths and people are going to have their stories and they're going to have their reactions and their experiences. And I, you know, for me, the practice of just receiving that and staying neutral with somebody else spiraling whatever direction they're going to spiral is a good practice for me and is an interesting practice for me. I'm curious if you have any particular memories or stories of times when people misunderstood you on social media. Oh, it happens well, at least once a week. Um, <laughs> particular stories, not entirely. Um, I can talk about what more recently has happened. It's interesting to watch what I've been doing lately is launching questions out there just to and there or making statements that oftentimes I say in person and I've been saying for a very long time week after week most people that know me in person they're not at all they're like oh it's just Alex repeating yourself again <laughs> but it can if you haven't met me it can be like whoa somebody's saying something that I I wanted to have said or that I suspected and so when I put those out there, um, the reason that I'm doing it is masked from view for people because there's no way to say that unless you make a whole big deal out of like, this is why I'm doing it, which is kind of clear. I, I do get it across like the purpose over time, why, why I'm saying it. But I think sometimes people through their own lens either see it, I get a lot of misinterpretation where I'm like, well, you know, this is problematic. So now it's just a free for all. And I'm like, well, technically there's nothing wrong with a free for all either, but there's, I'm not saying no structure. I'm not saying no teaching. I'm not saying just like willy nilly learning experience. I'm not saying no value, none of that. Um, but people interpret it that way a lot where they'll be like, oh, she's just saying toss it all out and let it all be just loosey-goosey and eh, not advocating for that necessarily at all. But there's a lot of misunderstanding or people thinking that I high horse. And that's like the last thing that I actually am about. I'm very self-deprecating. I'm actually, uh, every lecture, every weekend that I, I start on Friday nights, I do a whole intro of like fine print, basically, and say, hey, this is me. This is what's going to happen. Um, I'm going to criticize a lot of the yoga landscape and I'm not criticizing it from outside the circle or on a high horse. I'm in it and I don't dislike this content. I love it. I love it so much. I'm willing to say what I didn't know and all the mistakes I made and to be able to critically in a productive way, look out at the rest of the landscape and say, this is what I see. I've done it too. But Sometimes people don't hear that part because fight or flight shuts their to hear down and they're like, oh, she's being arrogant or this, that. And I'm like, it's the last thing. I don't think I can do it better. I, I just have been through a lot and chose to adapt and I've, I've made all the mistakes too. I'm not exempt from pretty much any of them. So those are kind of the ones that show up a lot. Being in this world for so long, we must love it because otherwise we would find a different world to be in. <laughs> but there was such a long period where nobody questioned anything. Yeah. 
and it was so romantic. It was like, you know, the, the, the honeymoon phase of yoga. And now we're in the marriage, like we're in it. And it's time to start questioning things. I'm always shocked and also understand why completely. I didn't question certain things that are just bonkers for me not to have questioned. The fact that I was a gymnast for 18 years and I all of a sudden believed there was a different way to do a backbend than I had spent 18 years doing and not been at all injured from or had any problems with. But it's that it's mystical. It's it's a different culture. It's romantic. It's old. It's got all of this um, buy-in to it in ways where you kind of surrender your critical thinking and your questioning faculties and, and go in just like blind faith in a lot of ways. And I agree that we're in this stage where critical thinking and questioning is vital, uh, which is very much my personality. So I'm always like, what happened? <laughs> but I understand. I wanted something. And I wanted to believe that it was possible, probably in ways that were uh, more magical than they need to be. Um, but, and that's not that there isn't magic. It's just not that kind of magic. But I think that it's, uh, it actually does work really well with the conversation because I don't think people question what they're putting out on social media or their participation. And I, I don't think they question the broader picture oftentimes of what the content is or how it lands. Um, and I didn't either. And so now it's a, it's a matter of really questioning, like, what am I trying to do here? Who am I trying to speak to and who am I leaving out if I do it this way? At the same time, I think that this, renaissance somewhat of a renaissance maybe not quite a renaissance maybe more like a revolution yeah. in yoga is made possible by social media mm -hmm. and a lot of the things that i have learned over the past let's say five years that i've been really engaged in kind of this angle of yoga has been through social media and a lot of the people I've been exposed to have been through social media and I met you through social media really recently. <laughs> so even this conversation was made possible through social media. Oh yeah. I'm, and I'm not at all against using the, the medium. I, that's why I use it. If I didn't think it had productive qualities to, I wouldn't, I just wouldn't bother. I, like you said, there's other things I could do um, and that we all could do, but I do think it has an immense ability to connect people. Um, I think it has pitfalls like anything does, but it also has really wonderful components that can be used to change things much more quickly than if we didn't have this ability to connect with people all over the place all the time. So I, I see good and bad with pretty much everything. I'm very much the gray area person. Oh my God, so, you're just like me. There's <laughs> so many pieces though. I can't say this or that. It depends. It all depends. Yeah, I feel like sometimes when I'm teaching that people get frustrated with me and I'm, I'm always like, well, and then in my brain, I'm thinking, how much detail do I go into right now? How much do I qualify my answer before answering? Oh, you sound like me. 
It's like, what? And then my brain goes through all of the things that are going to contribute to why I'm going to say what I'm going to say. And even then I'll be like, well, in this particular circumstance, based on all of these factors, I would most likely choose this. However, that's only for right here, right now. Like, there's just so much that comes into it. <laughs> it's I kind of it, the opposite of that phase of like that romantic phase of yoga where there were clear answers and that was really appealing. And there are still a lot of people who want those clear answers. I think it's very, very much ingrained in us and, and we've been um, conditioned, so to speak, to look for black and white, to look for yes, no, good, bad, right, wrong, and and to stay within those boxes and boundaries. And so I know it's annoying uh, to a lot of people when it's gray area. It's like, well, it really depends. And you're going to have to figure out what works for you and why you're doing it. Um, and then know that it's not going to work over and over again. It's going to work now. And then you'll have to adapt. But yeah, I think it's something that uh, we have to be taught or we have to remember, I guess would be a better way to say it. We have to remember that things aren't as definitive. Like you used to draw the tree smaller than the person and the sun way bigger than it actually is when you were a kid. So <laughs> back when anything was possible. Right. Well, while we're on the topic of benefits of social media, because that's one of my kind of my bullet points, what, other, I mean, we can repeat what we already said, but what do you see as the benefits of engaging with social media, specifically for yoga teachers? I think there's a few different ones. Um, I think it gives you a very clear way to present over time. You can't do it in one post, but over time, it gives you a very clear way to um, I don't want to say curate because that seems calculated and it's not really that calculated if you're doing it honestly. Um, but to form a picture of what you're about, uh, that is much more complete than like a website could be, uh, because really that's going to be a static set of images and you could do it a little bit with a blog, but that's a lot of work, you know, to write blog after blog and people don't have that kind of time. Whereas you can through pictures and imagery and some verbiage, get across a lot of who you are and what you believe and what you're doing. So I think for exposure to who you are without people having to meet you, that's great. That is super helpful. Um, and then I, I think that when done really responsibly, I think it can be a fantastic conversation pusher. Like it can really change people's perspectives. They, or, or at least get them to think differently for a second. And that's really like paradigm shifting is so hard to do with people, but it's a great starter of that where you can introduce ideas. Um, and I, I think oftentimes it's a safe place to say things that you know you're capable of saying that may not be the popular thing to say, but you know it's the thing that needs to be said and you can say it without any real resistance, like you can just put it out there. And I think it's really effective when you do that because it lands on people and there's a lot of people who don't say the things that they think or feel and they have this intuition that's telling them something's up, but they don't say it. And so it's a great medium for saying that stuff. Um, so I think that those are the things that it's really, really great for. What about drawbacks or obstacles? What are the challenges with using social media? 
Well, one we already talked about, which is that you'll be misheard or misread, which I don't think you can do. I think that's life. Like that's impossible to really navigate through and through. I think one of the, well, a couple of the other pitfalls are that really you're trying to tell a story about who you are and what you're doing and trying to use it to tell a story that ends in marketing product gets very tricky very quickly. And so I think it's better to tell the story and then offer what you're doing rather than thinking about it like I'm going to have this funnel down into me selling this thing. Because that's a really quick way to turn your audience off, to be honest. It's like, oh, I was just saying all these things to you buy this thing. Um, so I think that that's, that's one of the drawbacks. Um, I think another drawback that's often overlooked is that for every person's inspirational post, there's a person that sees that post as exclusive and uh, unattainable and not them and uh, triggering in some kind of way. And so, you know, I, I look at me, I didn't know how problematic I can be in relation to the conversation. Like I'm the person who used to do all the pictures of the fancy poses and I have a specific image that goes along with that. That is not at all useful in relation to what we're talking about and can be really like exclusive. Like that's the only word I can think of is nobody should want to or be able to do what I'm doing in those pictures. It's not even the point. And it didn't even work for me in that way. So um, I think it's like, well, I'm just doing it because I, I want to be inspirational. I want to share what I'm up to and all the same reasoning. But then the way that it's shared is highly problematic for a vast majority of people. And I think that gets overlooked a lot of times. That's why I have been posing this question of whether or not yoga has a PR prog problem. Because while social media has been really awesome for educating people and helping people know about yoga at the same time, especially Instagram is such a visual medium mm -hmm. and people share what's visually appealing to them. And this is a conversation I was having very recently with uh, my teacher trainees in teacher training, where many people come to yoga class and they have these imprints of these photos from social media in their heads as the goal of yoga. Mm -hmm. But because those photos are of different humans than them, and those humans are posing for the camera. <laughs> They're not really doing yoga. Exactly. And maybe, maybe you can, you have a lot more experience posing for the camera than I do. But in my limited experience, whenever I tried to do a yoga photo shoot, it was not yoga. Like it was, oh, no. it was me. It like, and the photographer is like, okay, now move your foot to the right. Okay. Now point your toes. Okay. Now. And, and I'm like not enjoying myself. No, <laughs> like, I love my yoga practice, but I had, you know, like I would be like the yoga photo shoot, uh, maybe not <laughs> because it's not enjoyable. No. So it's like, this, okay. So I'm glad you had the same experience because no. it's like, but that's not what we see. Right. So that's exactly yeah. what we're talking about with the misrepresentation of yoga on social media is that we see these photos, these photos 
our visual and then we have a visual picture that we're trying to recreate in a different body and and if we knew what that person was feeling we wouldn't even want that no not at all i mean a lot of the i i'm very lucky a lot of the work that i did in those mediums i had a blast because the people i was working with were my friends and they'd become like family to me and it was so fun like that but in terms of being in a shape in front of a camera holding it for a good long period of time I mean, it's one of the reasons that people liked working with me as a competitive athlete. Like, I'm fast. I can get a lot of that done very quickly. But, it, you know, I was, it was hard and it felt awful. And it had, to all of us involved, it had nothing to do with the yoga practice. It was a marketing medium and a way to represent the practice technique that we were talking about, not yoga in its essence or the outcome of a practice. But it was so long ago, like all of that stuff that I did for the most part was before social media really existed. It was certainly before Instagram was really a thing. And it wasn't until the end of that that Instagram was even a thing. So I, a lot of us didn't know that that's kind of how it would land. And then everybody has blind spots forever. So there's all these blind spots. And, you know, I've been doing for a long time because I travel every weekend. So I ride in a lot of Ubers and inevitably the question is, what do you do? What are you doing here? And I'm like, ah, here we go. Okay. I'm a yoga teacher. And the answers back are either like, that's cool, whatever. And it gets left to the side. Or I don't like yoga, but I do like Pilates or oh, I've wanted to try that, but I'm not flexible enough. And then I sit there in my goal. Uh, well, it isn't my goal, but I need to explain what it is that I, that I actually do and what this is about. So I've gotten really good at the elevator pitch in the Uber. Can I explain to this person it has nothing to do with any of that and that it's this other thing by the time they drop me off? And uh, usually can. And they're actually remarkably interested in the content when it, you take the PR off of it. And so, you know, this misperception that people have that it's fitness or this misperception that people have that it's poses that require uh, extreme flexibility. I know why that happened. It happened from the pictures. It wouldn't have happened if those pictures didn't exist. So if we don't want to have to keep having the conversation that it's not about those things, then we probably shouldn't visually represent that it's about those things. And then in addition, I don't love the sneak attack pitch where it's like, well, it's not about the poses it's about more than that and it's it but you know you come in with this level of understanding and then you're going to learn what it's really about and that'll be why you stay i think that stuff can be on the surface right at the gates i don't think it has to be masked by all this stuff so i agree with you like huge pr problem that's so solvable actually actually and would make all of our jobs a lot easier <laughs> will you give me your elevator pitch Oh, it depends on the person. It's not ever, I, I wish it was a real marketing like pitch. Um, usually in an Uber, it's actually really easy because you're sitting in a car and you know that person drives in traffic a lot. So I'll usually say, you know, this job that you're doing is pretty stressful huh? at times, I'm sure. And they're like, oh yeah, it's definitely, it's not always easy. And uh, I'm like, okay, well, let's take, for example, an accident on the freeway and you're trying to get somebody to the airport. And let's assume that it's a freeway that you can't get off of and take an alternative route to the airport. So you just have to sit there. 
And he's, they're usually like, yep, okay, I got you. I've had that happen. Like, okay, so you know what your body and your mind does in relation to that, especially if you've got a screaming client in the back that's freaking out, you know, about something that is also out of their control. And uh, they're like, yeah. And I'm like, okay, well, it would be acknowledging that that's happening and feeling and seeing what's going on and then realizing that you're going to have limited faculties to be able to deal with that. And even in terms of actionable ways to deal with it, you're not going to have very many. So it, it's knowing that, and you can either go down the rabbit hole and freak out with them and create a big problem, which you can also do. You're just going to know you're doing it. Or you can know that it's outside of your control and let it be. And then realize that if you do that a lot, that's going to store up in your body and you're probably going to start living from that place. So it's a way to kind of see what's going on and be able to cope with it and deal with it. So that's one part of it. And then I'll usually come at it from a second angle, which will be like, do you have a habit that you're not that thrilled about doing? And you, you've tried to, you know, you've had New Year's resolution or something along those lines. They're like, yep, I've done that. And I'm like, you know how hard that is to change that habit. And then I'll go into explaining the idea of, of becoming less magnetized to habits that are problematic and to being able to just allow what is happening to happen and to let it go when it's over and non-attachment and impermanence and all those concepts. And by the end of that, usually they'll say things like, oh yeah, I like that idea. Like that's kind of, I've been thinking about that or I've been interested in that. Um, it's kind of like meditation is usually what they'll say. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's the same thing. And then the other one will be, oh, I've been trying to do all this like uh, neuro reading, like on uh, neural pathways and behavior. And I've been trying to do all the like uh, hacking of my of my behavioral patterns from a mind standpoint. I'm like, that's what it is. It's, it's the same. And like, you're just reading about it from a different angle or with different words. And they're like, oh, that's so cool. I didn't know that's what yoga was. <laughs> so that, that's uh, usually they're either into it already are intrigued enough to be like, well, how do I, do you have a card or something? Which I do not. So I'm always like, I don't. Who does anymore? <laughs> I know. I'm like, you can go to my website if you want. Or I'll tell them what classes to look for in the city that they're in. If I work with the studio there, I'll send them there. Um, but usually they're, they're more into it or already are working from a different angle on that. So it shows me that this fear around not using images, because that's a lot of it. It's like, well, if I don't post that, what am I going to post? And I'm like, well, you better get creative then. <laughs> because there's ways that to approach people and they're not at all sad that it's not about those images. Those images are actually barriers to entering. So there's my semi-elevator pitch. That was great. Thanks. Yeah. It's a good task. Yeah. I feel like that would be a fantastic homework assignment for all yoga teachers who care, who are you know, working on this, this misunderstanding of the general public about what yoga is. What's your elevator speech about yoga? The funny thing is that I actually have started to approach it from a different angle. And, and you could, you know, I think a yoga teacher could do both of these things is that I try not to use the word yoga. Oh yeah. When people ask me what I do, I will tell them without using the word yoga. Mm-hmm. I say so, I'm a teacher a lot. 
to mm -hmm. just a teacher and they'll say of what and then i'll explain the concept um because it, it just depends how much patience i feel like i have left that day <laughs> to explain it but yeah that's actually the the elevator pitch one is part of uh the friday night workshops that i do are i point out i pull in everything that people are coming to a yoga practice expecting to get out of it and then i couple that with okay let's look at what you're trying to teach or learn. And the two lists are oftentimes incongruent because the list of what people are coming for are usually the result of marketing. So things like, you know, I want to get more flexible or I want fitness or I want, um, it, it's usually like that kind of standard uh, how we advertise and market list. And then it's, well, okay, I'm trying to teach these things. And Right now, a lot of times, and this is not a criticism, I understand why it's happening and where I think there's a lot of potential is that the words that I'll get for what you're trying to teach or learn are just, you know, mindfulness. And that's it. And they're just these kind of, because we hear in buzzwords and we hear in just these short little phrases. And so there'll be individual words that don't encapsulate what it is we're really trying to do. And that's my whole push for them is to say, okay, I want you to be able to fill that out more so that when somebody asks you, you don't toss a buzzword at them. That doesn't really explain things thoroughly enough for them to not get confused that the shapes are about or the practice. So can you get really concise about what it is you're trying to teach from a, a grounded, rooted in tradition and, and historical accuracy? Can you do that? And, and it's a really cool thing. Um, that I think would help with our PR problem too. Yeah, no, I think that's a great exercise because language is so important mm -hmm. and consensus language is important. But once we get to a certain point, a word becomes overused and it becomes less potent. Yep. So as teachers, I mean, that is what we are as teachers. Language is our primary tool. And our job is to continue upgrading and evolving our language use as the language around us evolves. Oh, so such a big words, one. There are words that, you know, 10 years ago, nobody was using, so it would have been powerful to use them. Right. And now that they become overused, we start to ignore them almost, and we need to find different ways of saying, you know, what we mean. Oh, yeah. I think that goes into classes, too. It's like off topic, but... The whole idea of cueing, I always find so fascinating. I wasn't taught that way. I don't teach that way because um, it's a conversation. We're having a, a dialogue, me and whoever's in front of me. And so to have prefab words is, is ineffective. And then I'm sure you remember this. I remember it's 20 years ago this year that I got on a mat for the first time. I don't even remember. So those mats there, whatever. Um, but the terminology being used by any given teacher, depending on where I was practicing, what city I was in at that point in my life, was not at all consistent. But now the language is so consistent around the world, what gets said for each pose and what gets said for each entrance and exit. And it's so homogenous because of online content and, and the distribution from there and where people learn from that it's fascinating to watch because I'm like, people are tuning out now in classes all the time because they've heard that cue so much. It either, they either think they know what it means or it's meaningless and they just are like, oh, that's that one I don't understand. So I just toss it to the side. And so I think like, I agree with you that big advocate for increase in vocabulary so many different ways to say the same thing. Um, 
really challenging yourself to say things differently. And I think you can do that online too, because it's kind of like, I love making fun because I, if I wasn't doing this, I'd be a stand-up comic. I swear it. But I would make fun of this social media uh, kind of trite post where it's like, eh, here's a picture of me at sunset doing some fancy thing on a beach. And like, here's a quote that either isn't given by that person originally anyway, or, and I'm misattributing it or is maybe from like a concept that's irrelevant. And then some inspirational speak below it and voila. <laughs> it's so standard fare now that I'm just like, people tune that stuff out and try to challenge yourself to do something a little different. Yeah, good point. It's it's funny to me when I'm teaching, you know, I love teaching teachers. I love teaching people who are already engaged in teaching, but a lot of times I'm teaching people who want to teach. So that's mm -hmm. in teacher training. And many times those people really just want me to give them a formula and they will literally say, can you teach that so I can write down what you said? <laughs> and in the past I've said no no, I'm not going to do that. I don't think that's of service to you. And they've gotten really upset with me because they feel I'm being ungenerous. I'm like, well, you can come to my class if you really want to write down how I cue poses, like how I teach a pose. But understand that I'm going to teach it differently depending on who's in front of me. So what I, what I say to you, to a room full of people in teacher training is very different than what I would say to a room full of people who just came from their nine to five job and they're, you know, maybe mixed ages, mixed levels. It totally depends on what I'm seeing in the room. And that is, you know, more and more, that's what I'm, I don't know if it's a, like, if it's an uphill battle, if it's even possible in that 200 hour context, but I'm trying to bring in, you know, how do I help these people start to see? Oh yeah. I think it's possible. Because I come from that same angle. And I think what the missing, it, it goes down to the same thing that the hoses constantly get conflated with the intention behind them. And it's like, well, it is triangle. And I'm like, but triangle is a concept. It's all it is. And it's a concept that maybe has a few universals out of it that you could ask people to engage with that were some, I call them priorities or, or universal points of, of experience knowing that that's not going to be as universal as one would want, but fairly universal. And then there's adaptable components, tons and tons of adaptable components, including how you even configure that thing in space, um, what props you use, how it's oriented, like all of that is adaptable. You're trying to use it as a vehicle to tell a story on, to ask people to engage with themselves in. And it's going to be a sensory experience for them to make choices off of. So I think one of the big missing pieces is that those shapes, the intention behind them is missing. And so like, why are you doing it? Why are you using that tool? Why are you saying that word? What it, what's the point in what you're trying to accomplish here? And then let's look at how many different ways you could accomplish that same thing. And then you decide on based on who's there and, and who's in front of you. Um, and I think that we can do that. I, I think that that's, I, I've, I've, hot from that perspective for a little bit now and it's it works like people are like oh no I know what that pose is I call it the uh, architectural plans or the blueprints I'm like this is it, kind of the building and then it's a track home neighborhood so we're going to have lots of different options and you know lots of different colors of, of things and different amount you can add a garage on you can do all kinds of stuff to adapt this stuff um, 
but I, I, yeah, it's just a different way to approach it. But I understand that. I've had people do that too. They're like, can I just write the notes? I, I'm thinking that you probably attract to your teacher trainings a maybe a more sophisticated group. I mean, even though actually I got to say that the, I've taught teacher trainings. I, I teach a, a regular one here and that group's pretty sophisticated compared to when I've traveled and taught in teacher trainings. And I, I, I'm like, whoa, very different, very different. So the baseline is very important. Yes. And the baseline keeps increasing. I've been teaching teacher trainings for eight years and every year people are coming with more background, more sophistication, more context. So, mm -hmm. the, you know, the whole thing is evolving. It is. I agree. I think there's a couple different tracks. Let's just put it that way. That I think that there's people who enter with maybe a, a lower degree of understanding just because of what they've been exposed to, which I make tons of space for because it depends where you're located, what you've been exposed to, and then what you've had the access to, just even financially and those sorts of things. So there's that. And then I, I think that one, one of my driving interests is make the students smarter than the teachers. Make the student base right now so smart, not to weed out, like not to be mean. It's to push people forward because we just keep teaching arithmetic over and over and over again, and then expecting the the students to somehow jump over to like calculus. And I'm like, but we've got to pull them forward to that point. So if we make the students much smarter in the classes they're attending, then when they come into trying to teach, if that's what they choose to do, they have a higher degree of understanding. They also will push the teachers forward to more education. They'll also, you know, be able to discern what's part worth participating in and what's not, and maybe how to take care of themselves really well in a class that isn't as well articulated as another one. Like, I think that's all all really high potential, but I agree people are coming in with degrees of understanding that they did not have before, although semi-homogenous understanding just because mm -hmm. of that span and spread. So to circle around, back around to social media and, and this topic of, you know, visual representation, what, re what yoga really is, what people think it is, should yoga teachers stop posting pictures of themselves in poses or at least pictures of themselves in poses that they consider to be aspirational. Oh, I don't like to tell other people what of to do with not. themselves. That's why I'm asking. <laughs> the hard thing is that it's so dependent on the individual and what they're doing it for. So the first thing I would say is I think people, I think we could all, and this is something that I I put into effect, it's just practice of mine, is why am I posting that? What's the true intention behind what I'm doing or saying? Um, and then how is it going to be received or how could it be received? Are there blind spots that I have to this? Um, and I think I've just learned so much about how those poses land on people and how down on themselves they get because they can't do that yet or they can't at all. Um, or how I get so much of this in all the web stuff that I do where people will have thought there was something wrong with them because they can't do what they see in that imagery. And then they go to classes and there's a lot of support pushing them towards that imagery in certain ways. And they've also got their perception and their, the amount of relief that they feel when they realize that it's 
not something that they were meant to do, nor should they, nor is there anything wrong with them that they can't do that. Even basic, what we would consider basic poses, like, oh, I don't have to do warrior two, like that. They're so relieved that it just weighs on me. So I listen to a lot of people's opinions and a lot of people's experiences because I want to have a wide a wide uh, lens in terms of what I'm taking into account, not just mine from my own individual experience. So if people can hear what I'm saying, it's that I know you want it to be inspirational. And I know that it took maybe a lot for you to attain it. There's also all the contributing factors to poor outcome from attaining that sort of thing. Yes, people can gamble and get away with it sometimes, but that's a gamble at best. So even the people that are doing it, I would say, are you, are you sure this is skilled for you? And then how long is it going to be skilled? And then what happens when you have to let it go? Are you going to be able to do that? Or is it going to be really painful to let it go? Is it part of your self-identity? Like there's so much to it. But I think um, if they can hear that as much as we want it to be inspirational, it's really painful for a lot of people and very... Um, uh, repelling in a way where uh, and a lot of people self-deprecate deprecate themselves when they see it and so is it okay with you to post a picture like that when you know that a lot of people will see it and feel bad about themselves because they can't do it nor should they be able to do it um and i think just reflecting on that can really help because i can't tell anybody what to do wouldn't want to anyway I think that what you just stated is the best reason not to do it. There are other reasons which I, they kind of circle around back to our conversation around words and words being overused. I think the meme of the flexible advanced, specifically skinny white woman doing a fancy pose is overused. And even though when social media was a newer thing, there are people who became famous by, by doing that, Mm -hmm. um, who became well-known. I don't know if they would quite qualify as famous. It's like famous in the yoga world, right? Yeah. It was effective for them in, in a certain, in that way, in the way of becoming well-known. But I also see now thousands upon thousands of skinny white women putting a lot of effort into pretty pictures and videos and not really seeing the return that the early adopters saw. And I think what would be helpful for people to know is a couple of things. One, the using it in that way, either historically or now, um, and we can especially look at it like historically, when that's how you represent yourself, that becomes, like I mentioned a second ago, your self-identity, and it also gets tied to your worth and, and your validity as a teacher. And that sort of thing is not sustainable. Even if you don't sustain an injury, you're going to look different over time, and you're not going to be able to do all of those things. Maybe you don't have the time anymore. There's so many reasons it might not be sustainable. And then it also becomes an expectation that people have of you. And so if anything prevents that from being possible anymore, then you're really pigeonholed in a lot of ways into this image. And I've seen it be very painful for people to let that go. I've seen them perpetuate pain in themselves just to be able to keep doing it. Um, like I, I know a lot of people firsthand. I'm like, but stop. Like I know that you're in pain. You've got to 
let that go. But it's tied to who they are and it's tied to maybe how they think they make their income solely. And there's lots of other ways, but um, that is, there's a lot of fear around it. And then I think there's this perception that the, the social media posting is what got people what they have. I can tell you from where I sit, social media had very little to do with what I do and how I do it. Uh, I'm going to say 90% of it is from hustling and working really hard and just having that kind of go get them grit and just the willingness to do a lot of stuff that isn't glamorous at all to pay my dues and to work really hard because I love this. So I think there's a lot of perception that it's a, a, a means to gain that it really isn't. And then sometimes that gain means that you're tied in so many ways to it that it's hard to adapt. And adaptability is key in this. So I, I agree. And it's highly overused as well. Um, you know, that doesn't attract people's attention inherently at this point. So outside the box. So what does attract people's attention is being somewhat original in some way, right? Mm -hmm. And the only way to do that is to have an original thought. You can't fake originality. Mm -hmm. No. So would you say that maybe focusing on social media is not for everybody? It's not. I would or, absolutely <laughs> say that. <laughs> not a requirement as a yoga teacher. Nope. Not at all. And I think there's a lot of pressure to think it is. But I have friends that are very successful teachers in their cities and they don't use it at all. Um, some of them have accounts that they use to kind of look around at other things, but they don't use it for business purposes. I think it's really possible to do it without, but it requires you to be creative outside of that and then to show up and to keep learning and to keep doing hard work, which is going to require anyway. But I don't think it's for everyone. I really don't. Um, if everybody was good at representing things like that, everybody would be a graphic designer but they're not necessarily. Um, and I don't think you have to feel pressured to do it in that way. There's other mediums, but if you're, if you have something to say and you're, and you want to test things out, you got to be willing to kind of flub up a little bit here and there too, then try it. But, um, it's by no means the be all end all. When I think about yoga teachers who are interested in learning about social media, I was thinking about this before our conversation I spread them out into three categories. First, the ones who really have no idea, like they don't really engage with social media, or if they do, they don't really understand it. And they're true beginners. Mm -hmm. Then there are the ones who have been working at it for a while. They've made some progress, but they might be confused about why they're not gaining the traction they thought they would gain. Mm -hmm. And then third is the ones who are seeing success, seeing traction, but not sure what to do with that traction. Right. Yeah. So if, if we could, could you go and kind of, what would you advise for each of these categories where you would start to dip? It's funny because I'm going to, I'm going to go in one of those categories at a certain point too. Like, um, cause I, I have this background, but I am by no means, there's a reason I'm not a marketing person in graphic designer anymore. Like I'm good at it. I'm not excellent at it. I'm an excellent teacher. <laughs> like that's a much more my vein of, of uh, born, born with skill. So 
the people that are new to it and not doing it, when I'm doing in teacher training conversations around this, the first thing I say is you don't have to use it. There's so many other ways. This is what I spend so much time doing with people and how, uh, an angle that I don't really talk about online very much at all, but I work with people all the time on, okay, you can't teach 25 classes a week. That's not sustainable and you're going to burn out. And so let's look at some things. Let's look at some, some avenues to engage with your audience in person in a furthering sort of way where you don't have to be in the classroom to give them information because there's lots of ways to do that where you can, uh, some of the things you wish would change, let's figure out ways for you to provide content to, to those people that can change that. So there's a lot of other things that one can do that don't require social media. Like just get, grow your mailing list is the first thing I would say to people. Just go with that one because that's a more tangible um, interactive uh, in terms of like productivity source than social is. I, I think somebody told me at one point, I can't remember who it was, but it was somebody in marketing and they were like, for every thousand followers you have, that's like having one email address. It was either a hundred to one or a thousand to one, but it's like the email addresses are much more important. Totally. And that's such a great point because perhaps the first thing that people should ask themselves before how should I engage with social media is why would I engage? like, what's my reason for wanting to use social media? Is it to grow my email list? Mm -hmm. Is it to have more conversations and connections? Is it, what are some other reasons you think? Um, I, th I think seeing what's going, I try, it really depends where you're at. Um, I think for a lot of people, it's a great research and development tool for their own teaching and their own practice experience. And I think it's a fantastic discernment tool because I'm like, look through it. Don't look at it and buy it. Look through the content. I want you to see what's there. I want you to see if it has legs. Is it congruent? Does it, is the message consistent? Like, does it seem wonky or funny in any way? Like really use it to, to hone your skills of discernment of, of what's productive to engage with and what is not. And then what is some productive and some not like how, how does that all work? Because I think that's key to understanding how to use the medium. Should you ever choose to use it? Because you want a congruent message. You want to people to be able to discern that what you're saying is valid and has legs and is researched and vetted. So I think it's a wonderful tool for just kind of watching that, especially if you're a watcher of people. I love it for that reason. Um, it's a, a great tool to connect to other people. Um, I just say with social media, don't take any of it at face value. It's meant to be, but don't. So it's a great connection tool and can really, uh, you have so much more reach. I've met so many people that I, like some of my best friends now, I met online, which I never thought would be the case, but I did. And I've met them in person now and it's so cool. But um, so I think it's wonderful for that, especially if you're kind of like a weirdo like I am where I, I don't get to find that many in-person people like me. So when I'm like, oh my God, another one of you, it's really exciting, even if they're all the way around the world. Um, but then I think it can be a very effective tool for also business purposes, but you've got to really have that like dialed in. Um, and I do think growing your newsletter list is a great thing to do on there, but it's also, you can do all of this stuff in person. I'm always like, go in your community. Where's the, like, 
do that part, go bottom up instead of top down, like try to find who's right there in front of you and work with them. Because I, I mean, I, I don't know how you feel about this, but I feel like there's so much room in each locale for more depth in teaching, more uh, to answer a lot of unanswered questions, to really deal with things rather than refer them out. Um, to deal with them from from that specific on the ground location. So I think that there's lots to be done that doesn't have to involve it. Definitely. And hearing you talk and and having this conversation makes me realize that probably for that second group of teachers, ones who are like, okay, I've seen my audience grow, but now, you know, not as fast as I would like. And I'm kind of not sure where to go from here, probably going back to that, <clears throat> those two questions of, well, why are you doing it? What's your purpose? Because if you know what your purpose is, then you can measure the results better. If it's just followers uh, that, you know, that really doesn't tell you anything. Nope. And are, is your message congruent? Do you have a message? Uh, one of the things I've been working on with some of the mentored teachers that I work with online, um, so they're kind of all over the place, is tell me what you would like to have students know that they don't know and they keep you after class to ask you about. Like, what is that? And having them write down a list of all the things that they wish their students, that they could get across to them in a class. And then I have them write down a list of what do you wish they would stop doing? <laughs> and it's they kind of overlap in a way, but like, what do you wish you could get them to hear from you that they don't have to do that or that it doesn't have to be done that way. And when you take those two lists, then you can come up with what you would like to provide in terms of conversation and content uh, from both angles. So you can develop online stuff. You can do that through social. I, I'm not a huge like educator through social media because I think it's a very truncated way to talk to people, but it's a way to start to launch those conversations out there like, that's pretty much what I'm doing with all the questioning I've been doing lately is like, Hey, have you thought of this? Have you thought of that? Um, do you wish that we could change these things? Cause there are ways, but we've got to start the conversation first. And so I think writing those down and then you can get a really clear message and look at those lists from what are you really good at now too? Cause you might want to fix something, but you don't have the expertise in that area. So I'm not the one to fix Hindu mythology. That's not my expertise. I would refer that out. I've got lots of friends that do that much, much better than I do. Um, so really knowing what you're good at and what your deepest level of education is in and where you can be the most helpful with filling the holes. Don't create holes to fill them. Fill the ones that are already there. Then once you know what you're really good at and what's on those lists, then start talking about that. Put those conversations out there. Um, because the the endless kvetching for no good reason is not helping anyone. <laughs> like just to complain about chaturanga person in class, but not doing anything about it, that's not helping. So let's do something about it. Um, and then you can create content. So that's kind of a way in the middle to be like, I don't really know what to do to get this out there. Well, first you got to figure out who you are and what you want to do and what you're good at and what you see going on out there that you think you could help with. Okay, then do that. And then the third one, what was the third one? The people who have, are seeing success, like their numbers are growing and they're like, whoa, there's lots of conversations happening and I don't know how to harness this. Same thing I said before. I yeah. think that that's the whole thing is that 
there is ways to get traction to go, but then what to do with it. it, it I think people come at it backwards, I guess is the way to say it. Um, mm-hmm. I think you should know a little, and everything's adaptable. I mean, you know this, like you can go in with a good plan and then it's all scrapped as soon as you start. But at least having some idea of why you're doing what you're doing, what your intended aim is, and then going in and starting the conversation around it so that when it picks up traction, if it picks up traction, you can then have a way to deal with it and, and a way to use that traction for a bigger purpose and to actually solve the problem from that standpoint. Um, otherwise, it is a little bit like, now what do I do? And I think at that point, there's a lot of clinging. Like, oh my God, if I don't do something, then they're going to stop talking. And like, then I'm going to lose this opportunity, which I would say, just knock it off. It's fine. Like, it'll be okay. But uh, I think figuring out what to funnel that into so you don't make rash decisions on the back end is helpful. And for those, um, those people who are in the first stage, the one thing that I was thinking would be good to add is to be choosy about which social media platform you decide to use. Don't try to do them all at once. Pick mm-hmm. one to start with and research how that platform works because the different platforms work differently. So for, ex- for example, I will see people trying to work Instagram, but they like, they'll use some kind of image that is completely not compelling, does not invite you in and they get no engagement and they wonder why. I'm like, hold on a second. Instagram's a visual platform. Mm-hmm. You're, you, you have to be really conscious of the look of your, you know, you have to have a look for your account and know who you're attracting with that look and what you're trying to do with that look. So, and that's just an example, um, that get some education on the platform you want to use. The other thing, like for example, responding to people, if you don't respond to people, your account's going to die. So people like coming in, like pre-scheduling some posts, they land, they start to get a little bit of engagement and they don't respond and then it's just going to fizzle out. Mm-hmm. So make sure that you, I mean, there are so many free classes out there on every social media platform of people trying to, they, they're going to give you a free class because they want you to sign up for their, you know, paid, paid class or their paid mentorship or whatever, but that's fine. Just take a free class on whatever platform you want to start with. I think it's a huge missing factor out there. And my partner and I, we talk about this all the time because I'm not a huge um, social media person historically. Um, And I've just, I'm an intuitive learner. So I've just watched kind of how this all works. And I've always really disliked Facebook. Um, And I did a a short stint of engaging on Facebook and I, I really don't enjoy it. Um, It's a much more conversational platform where and the conversations because you are it seems you're having dialogue with people because there's a lot more back and forth and you're posting ideas and uh you know articles and sharing things a lot more than you ever would do on instagram and it gives this impression of a conversation but it's not really a conversation because it's all running through this filter of not having consequence and and not having a full story and 
so it's actually, and it's very, very limited what you can get across to somebody in that medium. So I, I, but if you're somebody who likes debating and likes having that kind of back and forth and you're not as into images, you're more a, I read lots of articles and blogs and blah, blah, blah. And I want to share that. That's your platform. That's a great one for that. Because if you're into that sort of content and you're into talking about it, then it'll work a lot better. It won't work as well over on Instagram because that's about visuals. And that's a conversation uh, on Facebook. You can have, uh, I see it all the time there, where you'll have people who are not the original poster talking to each other in the comment section. But on Instagram, that doesn't happen as often. It's more the poster talking to the audience. So if, if you want to have people having conversations underneath, Facebook's a better place for that. Instagram's going to be more, this is what I'm saying. You guys tell me what you think, and we're going to have a dialogue rather than a group conversation. Um, and it doesn't always function exactly like that, but that's a lot more of it. And then the visuals are huge. You got to post good-looking imagery, and it doesn't have to be perfect or pretty or the standard status quo stuff. I just mean engaging visual imagery. And if that's not your jam, then you either can study and learn how to do that or use a different platform. I always say to people like, are you more of a writer or a talker? Because I'm a talker. So I much prefer to make videos than I ever do write blogs. And so, but if you know that you're more of a writer and you don't like talking to the camera, then do the other. Like, just know what you're good at. But yeah, I think that's a big missing bit because I see people try to post and do the same thing on each one. I'm like, that doesn't work. <laughs> it function differently. And that actually brings me to, you know, when we have a question of, okay, so I'm supposed to choose one. How do I choose? You know, it's not just based on your personality. It's also based on who you want to reach because mm -hmm. different people are more active on different platforms. Um, so for example, if you know that you really want to work with people over the age of 50, you're probably not going to work on Instagram. That's nope. not going to be your spot. You got to, you know, and, and so I've, I've done coaching sessions with yoga teachers who, you know, a lot of times I'm asking them to, that's like the basic is who, who are you trying to reach? Because you can't do marketing without knowing who you're talking to. Mm -hmm. So once they do that, sometimes they're like, my people aren't on social media at all. And I'm like, yeah. great. You just got to let yourself off the hook. Where are they? <laughs> Go find them where they are. It's, it's such a, it, I, I think that that's the thing is the, like, what do you do? What are you trying to do? Who's there? And then you figure out how you're going to go about doing it. Because yeah, I think a lot of people are like, well, I got to do the social media thing. And I'm like, I don't know that it's going to work for you. I don't know that that's really who you're talking to right now. Um, like, for example, I have, I have one long-term uh, mentor student who her, her big love is teaching privately. I'm like, social media really isn't necessary for that. Like you, that's more of a, you meet people in person referral type of thing. And they, it happens usually from your public classes. And so there's ways to develop that. And then there's ways to support those people in person um, through other mediums that don't require you to do social media. Like uh, this is a way back my teacher. It's like, don't post soliciting things for private clientele or any of that on social media. Like it's weird. Like that's just weird <laughs> unless you're doing it online, which is a little bit different, but like in person, especially in LA, going to somebody who just found you on social media's house to do a, no. So I kind of still have that mindset around it. 
Is that where you're based? Are you based in LA? Not anymore. That's where I was forever. I'm in Ohio now. LA was the place to be. It was. Oh, yes, it was. And then I watch it ripple out. Like, that's the thing now with, uh, I was part of that perfect, it was perfect storm. I wish people knew that part, that it was a perfect storm happening in the exact locale for that, which is where they pump all the fitness industry out too, and all, a ton of uh, Hollywood imagery. And so yoga's been sold through that filter, through the Hollywood LA fitness filter for a long time. Um, and all of us didn't really know, like that was how it was getting pumped out. And then it did, cause that's where all the, for the most part, a lot of the content is made. And then to see how that lands, once I started traveling, I was like, Oh, <sighs> this is not, um, yeah, this isn't going to work. <laughs> this is a very, very narrow demographic that we're aiming at. And then we, slap on top of that yoga is for everybody but yet the methodology being used to sell it is not for everybody at all and it's it's wrong to sell it that way so yeah i was in the mecca forever and things are changing very much which is good makes me happy seriously it's a beautiful thing so thank you for being part of that change hey you too my pleasure always is there anything else that you feel like needs to be said about social media that we've missed? I think the only thing that I would say, I was talking to a friend of mine. I said, I'm going to, I got to go. I'm doing a podcast on, see if I can pull it up, uh, ethical use of social media for marketing. And, uh, and then we were kind of chuckling about that because I was like, well, is there really such a thing? Um, and there is, but you have to know certain things. Um, so I, here, let me see if I can pull it up really quick. I said, you know, first you have to have ethics <laughs> is the thing. It's like you've got to know yourself and know your ethical uh, stance and then know that that needs to be reinvestigated all the time. Because my friend was being, she was she's lovely and very well-educated, long-time yoga teacher. And she said, you do a good job of it because you're very transparent. She said, on a lot of platforms, you're out there saying what you've done and how you've participated um, and, and what you didn't know. And so there's this honesty and transparency with where you're coming from. That then means when you're offering content for purchase or, or programs for people to sign up for, that they, they have this trust in what you're doing because you're out there speaking about the truth of your entirety. And so I think that that's one thing that is really not looked at with social media that could be and that should be is you, ha- you can't be hiding from yourself and use social media really well because, or, or any, any marketing tool because when there's blind spots about you, they come through on that medium and and there's nothing to hide i think that's been i think there's a difference Brene brown says it really well she talks about um the, about vulnerability and how oversharing and just like vomiting things out is not vulnerability that's that's different but being honest about what you didn't know and where you've been and what you've learned that is in a very transparent way so when i say what would you want to know about what would you want your students to know that they don't you probably didn't know it at a point too, and then you learned it, and now you wish they knew that. Or what do you wish they would stop doing? Maybe you used to do things that you no longer do anymore, and you didn't know that. 
until a certain point. So could you share that? Or maybe you see it because you weren't taught to do that and you can see other people doing it and where it's ending them. And so maybe you can talk from that vantage point. But I think there's a lot of, um, there's a difference between being self-deprecating and being vulnerable. And I think like sharing from this very vulnerable place is key. And, and so that takes a lot of self-reflection for us to do, which is what yoga is about. So technically we should, we're ahead of the game. <laughs> I love that because I've been thinking about how our flaws are, can be a strength. Our flaws can be a strength. If we look at them honestly and we work on them for sure, but we're really honest and upfront about our flaws, they become a doorway for people to connect to us. Mm -hmm. And they're not even flaws is the best part. They're just all of you. Like they're just the other side. They're the things that aren't so, uh, you know, elevated and, and put on a platform and celebrated in that way. But I think that if you look at something as a flaw, which I think is the way that we all do, myself included, but then flip it on its head, that sometimes that flaw is actually something that a lot of people have and that you can, from that vantage point, share your experience with that and use that flaw to your advantage. Like people don't always love that I'm very outspoken, that I will say what everybody's thinking before anyone else. And I'll just say it very bluntly. Uh, when nobody else is asking why, I'll put my hand up and ask, but why? No matter the situation for the most part. So uh, that can be seen as a flaw. Like, come on, Alex, be more demure, be more reverent to the authority, like just toe the line a little bit. Shh, don't upset anyone. Like don't rub them the wrong way. Don't be so, so rude. I, yeah. Don't be so rude. So when you were saying that you're, uh, that you're not, you don't come off as like this, you know, super warm fuzzy. I don't think that's a flaw. I think that that's brilliant because I'm not either. And when I tried to be warm and fuzzy, that fell flat on its face. Cause that's not who I am. And it's not a flaw for me not to be that way. It's actually who I am. And there's a lot of people like that. And they wish, and they feel like they're putting on the like warm fuzzy costume all the time. And I'm like, forget it. Let the people who are warm fuzzy, like they're good at it. Let them be good at it. Um, so, you know, really owning all your aspects and then using sometimes the ones that we deem flaws are the most powerful ones that we have. Kind of like superheroes, you know, like that hidden thing. So. And that's really the beauty of social media is that you get to find your, your people. You get to find the people who have the same, we could call them challenges, <laughs> have the same way of expressing, you know, their life force through this, their bodies. And if you stick into, you know, you're in a small town, it may feel like you're the only one. But when you get on social media, that's when you start to realize, oh my gosh, no, I am not alone. Which I think is really powerful and really probably the number one benefit of it is the fact that you realize that you're not alone and then maybe you realize that your struggles aren't so unique and that I think that your struggles lose their power a little bit when you realize they're not special. You know, the things that everybody goes through and and that we make bigger things out of things that we think are like only happening to us or, or that, um, you know, we did something wrong. But when you see it and everyone else, you're like, oh, that's really not that big of a deal. Kind of everybody's going through that. I think that's helpful. It's just a way to kind of own everything a little bit more. It's so helpful to be a little less dramatic <laughs> with ourselves. <Absolutely>. Right? <laughs> Settle down. <laughs> 
<laughs> which I say to myself all the time. All right, I'll settle down. It's, it's enough. <laughs> same, same. So if my listeners want to find out more about you or sign up for a workshop or study with you, how can they find you? They can go to yogaphysics.com. That's my website where all the I travel to a different place every weekend to teach workshops and then I teach long format programs here in Columbus. And then I do online long-term uh, continuing ed. Well, and people who are not teachers sign up for it too, um, webinar coursework. So those are all on my site or you can go find me. I'm usually on Instagram more than anything else. Um, and I answer a ton of emails. So ask me whatever you want. And so long as I'm not mid conversation with somebody, usually I'm pretty good at replying. So <laughs> that's where they can find me. Key takeaways, know what you stand for, mm-hmm. know who you're trying to talk to, know what you want back from the social media and engage consistently. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. That's that. Well, thank you so much. This was a super fun conversation. We got a little bit off topic, but in really good ways, I think. Oh, yeah. I like when it's when it weaves about more interesting to listen to that way, too, I think. I hope so, because I got a whole podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Don't worry. I think it's interesting to listen to. (laughs) Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you again, Alex, for that thought provoking and helpful conversation. I thought the takeaways were really helpful and I hope that they help guide you listeners to create a strategy for social media that is thoughtful and aligns with your values so that you can feel good about your participation. With the holidays coming into full swing now, I want to encourage you to be even more deliberate about setting aside time for your refilling your cup with your personal practice. Of the pieces of advice that I find myself giving to the people that I coach really frequently is to schedule their creative time first. To schedule creative time as the first thing that gets blocked off in the calendar and everything else goes around it. And for yoga teachers, I consider our personal practice to be part of that creative time. It is what makes everything else worthwhile and makes everything else possible. So let's give our personal practice the place of honor in our lives that it deserves. And if you struggle with this, I'd love for you to listen to episode 22, where I talk about the neuroscience behind a consistent practice. In the meantime, stay in touch on the Yoga Teacher Resource Facebook group. If you're not a member yet, you can join on my website, teachingyoga.net slash join. Until next time, I hope that you and your loved ones are well this holiday season.